welcome to another episode of Have You Heard the Latest? To this week, we're going to be talking about the James Altiger show who had on Jim Quick. Jim Quick is a memory specialist who also taught speed reading and then shared a bunch of his life lessons and things he's kind of picked up along the way with Altiger. Uh, my first big takeaway I had from it personally, Tom, was the reduce the clutter in your life. Now, it's a little later in the podcast, but it's something they both spoke about, both Altiger and Quick talked about in different ways, was reducing the clutter in your life. Altiger talked about how he reduced a lot of the specific items in his life, mm-hmm. like literally getting rid of everything. Mm-hmm. And Quick talked about decision fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you pick up on that? Uh, yes, definitely. So two ideas came to mind. So at some point, I believe Quick does some kind of uh, internal check-in where he is prioritizing his life and he's asking things like, what is it that I love? What is it, because my life is finite, right? What is it that I want to do here on this earth? And um, uh, it, it comes, this sort of essence comes out in his priorities where he sort of mentions life, lessons, and loved ones as the main things that we focus on. And it's interesting because when you sort of pause your life and you check in on what your priorities actually are, you realize how little time we're actually spending accumulating and working toward those specific things. Um, So to your point about decluttering, so so how does decluttering play? Well, that is the response to when you stop checking and you say, okay, I have a limited life here. What is it that I do care about? And then look at all this stuff that I'm thinking about that's using my energy, my thought patterns, my um, uh, decision fatigue, like you said. You know, what can, you know, how do I declutter? Well, I prioritize the key things first by being aware of them. And then secondarily, you realize all the things that are not even, you know, related to those. Um, Yeah, thoughts on that element? Yeah, no, it's... It's funny because you framed it in sort of two separate ways where it's finding the things you do want in your life and do love and then finding then the things that don't fall in those categories. And I think that's interesting because in relation to even how Quick talked about decision fatigue is he brought up social media specifically and just how we're making – all these decisions because we're constantly checking in on our phone with all these different apps and then we're making these little micro decisions Mm -hmm. and that kind of adds up over the course of a day and I found that interesting because it's like we want to cut that out right like what what does that actually bring and it kind of reminds me of back when I was doing breweries in PA I knew that I had to be on social media at certain points to tweet things out, to make a daily Instagram post, Mm -hmm. but I found it would start bleeding into general usage of Instagram, (laughs) so not just like business usage, but then I'd be on it for like an hour a day, and that was like this clutter then that was taking up space where... My mission was to grow my brand. Okay, yep, that's something I want to focus on for sure. 
But then the clutter was coming from just staying on it and the, like, in-your-face nature, especially of Instagram. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, so I think that's... uh, Do you find that social media is this sort of double-edged sword for for someone who's trying to grow in it, right? Well, exactly. So it's the legendary double-edged sword because it both gets in the way of your you know we'll say your dreams your uh, priorities and simultaneously it can massively facilitate them whether it's the ability to call each mm-hmm. other share photos with loved ones or build a brand start a business online so the internet is this beautiful double-edged sword that we are fa- uh, forced to deal with um, something you noted um, first was that you talked about pointing out both pointing out both the things that you want to clutter but also the, th- the, the things that you want to be doing and it's very yeah. interesting so I heard Jordan Peterson do this as well where the way in which you remove the clutter is to identify what it is you actually want to be doing and that to me is the step that we're missing because I do believe that you know uh, folks when they're motivated or when they have a direction where day in day out choice in choice out they're grinding towards some ideal whether business family uh, way of living life right uh, making society better uh, all those sort of big goals then you can say oh wow why am I not that interested in checking Instagram or you know uh, I'll say over checking fantasy sports Overchecking mm-hmm. your email, you know when? Like, why do we do that? And in part, as Peterson would identify, it's because we're not identifying what it is that we actually want to do, and uh, we have the absurd limitation of this short life where we don't know its expectancy. So therefore, it forces us really to value our time. And we're, I believe we're not doing it, not because we're so Lord necessarily, although that is part of it, right? Or, or it's not the app's fault, right? It's our fault for not picking and not thinking and checking in and saying, what is it that I want to use this life for? And that's very hard. And I drift on this all the, all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of like that whole being on your path type of thing. Sure. Where... When you're on your path, you kind of know it, right? You know when you're you're heading towards a specific goal in whatever it is. And the second you find yourself a little unsure of what that goal is or if you're still currently on the path, that's when these other things start, start to creep in, whether as completely new bad habits or bad habits within the things that used to be on our path. Like like I said, sure. obsessively checking yep. uh, fantasy sports. Fantasy sports yep. is even like a very interesting one because part of the reason I do it is because it allows me to stay in touch with my friends. It's a nice thing we can all rally around. Sure. Uh, but then it can, when it drifts too much away from that, it's you selfishly checking your computer for an hour and a half Procrastination, a day, right? Exactly. I love your. I love what you're pointing out. There's the dual element. There's the incredible network element that the internet and its apps bring, which is absurd and extremely beneficial. And then there's the uh, time uh, 
ability to procrastinate with interesting items that change frequently, right? That you can each time get a new hit of dopamine from uh, a performance, a new picture you see, right? Whatever. Ooh, a likes, uh, an approval of the things you post. Oh, man. I, I mean, I'm a sucker for overchecking <laughs> how something is going. Um, of course. Exactly. Um, it's funny, too, because no, uh, that sort of thing specifically even with the checking thing um that quick brings up this idea of just your your brain state because obviously he's very focused on what is going to promote a Mm. better memory a little quicker learning Mm -hmm. and the one thing he specifically mentions is not checking your phone first thing in the morning is is being able to put that off at least for a half an hour, an hour, mm-hmm. just because you're in this very like fertile mind state where you're ready to learn, you're ready to take in information, and if the first thing you do is just blitz yourself with social media, it's probably not the best start to your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I listened to this podcast maybe a week ago, and that's something I picked up immediately because it resonated with me because I sleep with my phone right next to my bed. First thing I do when I wake up in the morning is flip on my phone. And then in that groggy state, I had found myself so often flipping through social media, seeing what I could have possibly missed in the eight (laughs) hours I was sleeping. Like, what did I miss at 3 a.m.? Nothing is usually the truth here. And cutting that out and just instituting a half an hour of just quiet reading in the morning, Mm. I've already noticed a, a big difference personally just from doing that. That's fascinating. Uh, it's very funny how it's this big cardinal sin. And I hear uh, Josh Waskin, uh on Tim Ferriss' podcast. He trains hedge fund managers to be successful at their job, essentially traders in the stock market. Um, and basically, they have to rig their whole days so that they're continuously coming up with new ideas. Same thing with Ray Dalio. Same thing with, with Ray Dalio. Very funny how part of that he talks about like the waves that your brain is functioning on when you wake up and how in particular because you were just dreaming and your dreaming has to do with sort of one part of your brain is like asleep like your conscious attention that we use regularly but another part is sort of alive and trying to solve problems in your dreams to some extent and how in the beginning of the day is basically the only real time where you can harvest in any way what you dreamed about, right? So it's interesting how they want, you know, peaceful time, creative time in the morning. And sort of the exact opposite is the technology feeding you the information. Because instead of looking inside, what am I thinking, right? What, what came out of my dreams? How do I feel right now? Instead, it's you're immediately latching yourself onto the world around you. What did it say? And it's like it's like the biggest violation, right? The first thing in the morning, checking your phone. And yet, I do it, right? Everyone does it. It's the I go to bed with my phone. I wake up with my phone. That's it's horrible. It's it's the sin of of modern times. I'm so used to having some thread of information feeding me, uh, you know, positives and negatives, right? Yeah, and it's all to social influence, and this is a point that Altiger, I believe, brought up at the very end towards the podcast when he talked about specifically goal setting and how a lot of people make goals 
on the basis of what other people want for them and not really what they want for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that to me really ties into this information overload, this this cross section where you're constantly getting feedback from other people of what they're doing with their life, of what they think about things. And you wind up in a situation potentially where you spend very little time thinking about what's actually important to you and you only and what matters to you and not what people's perception is is going to be of those things. Yeah, I thought that I'm really happy you mentioned that. I thought that was also really stuck out to me. Um, he basically he said people are running around with other people's goals as their North Star, right? And yep. you're not attached to them. You don't care about those goals. And was it did he use the word like big juicy goal or some phrase like that? Do you recall? Something something close to that, yeah. Right. And it really, really stuck with me because I have not really gone through this process of necessarily uh, in let, let's just say at least in writing I haven't sort of written out exactly what it is or you know some vision of the future that's sort of like he said juicy you know typically I've thought of okay I have some principles I don't want to violate right I want to be a good person so I've thought about that but I haven't really made anything that's like he said juicy right that's like enticing like, ooh, I really have to grind toward that. Like, I have some visions of that, but I haven't really been through the process. But he made it sound really cool because it was like, man, that's make it so that's fun to work and that you're thinking about that goal instead of the tiny day-to-day tasks where you, we react to them. So then yeah. when it comes to checking your phone, it's like, ooh, let me harness me because I'm heading toward that really cool goal rather than focusing on the daily. So I completely appreciate your comparison of those two with the societal influence as well. Yeah, and I think it also flows into the other aspect that you even mentioned is we're both people that are very daily oriented. You know, we we like the idea of, of just winning the day, of just going by the day itself, and we're not those big juicy goal people where we're like in three years I want to be here uh, I have this very specific goal in three yeah, years or this 10 is or right whatever yeah doing, right exactly uh, these big gigantic macro life goals neither of us are necessarily like that uh, and you talked about systems and the you focus on being a good person and being a principled person And it's funny because I would say that's a lot of actually what this specific podcast focuses on, of what Quick and Altager wind up talking about, are like these little systems. Mm. And what that connection to me does is Mm. if you look at the two sides of it where you have these little systems in place and then you have this gigantic goal, it's Mm -hmm. like, well, that's how you wind up getting to this gigantic goal is having these little systems in place interesting how they hold the two the two hold each other together like if you don't have a goal and you only have systems you may be missing the why the urgency the fun part of it that you're grinding toward especially if you were for example leading a team in a company right and like you didn't really have a clear vision but it's like okay we have systems but like you could see how it's 
tighter with the goal. And then simultaneously, if you have a goal, but you don't break it down and relax and say, okay, 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 yes, we have a big goal, but every moment can't be dedicated toward like achieving that goal. We have to have this belief, you know, trust the process, right? Rather than, yeah. you know, as they say. So it's very funny the interaction of those two. Um, yeah. You want both. No, they're kind of, they're intrinsically I've been a little, linked. I've been a, I've been a little underweight goal, I could say, recently, you know? Um, it, I, you know, focus on short-term goals, sort of tasky goals, but not ones where I actually am excited to think about them. She said juicy, right? Like affirming it, thinking about it. I, you know, that's interesting to me. And I well, guess I think we we're get to also pick. both realists, too, is the other side of things. Mm. Uh, or at least me personally, that's, uh, that's what's always so how do you stopped make me them? from the... Yeah. Yeah, and like how do you then breathe life into them? It's like, yeah, a, a great realistic goal, let's say you're like, okay, in five years I want to be worth a million dollars or I want to have a million dollar business, let's say, in five years. It's like goals like that for me are always a little difficult because I am so oriented in the realistic and so oriented in the day-to-day. And if the connection is too far from where I stand today, to where that goal is in five years, which it's always going to be, right? It's a big, juicy goal. It's like if you were standing right next to it, it wouldn't be that juicy of a goal. And when that distance is a little too long, I wind up feeling adrift a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. The, 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 there's, it's, it's funny too because as you were talking about them being linked, uh, I, I couldn't help but think of this idea of like the goal is, an, is your anchor – like it's this big heavy anchor and then your little day-to-day life is the rope connected to it and sometimes when the goal seems too far away it's like you're pulling the the rope and the uh, slack and there's a lot of slack in uh, that rope uh-huh. so you can't actually feel the anchor uh-huh. so you uh-huh. feel disconnected from that goal uh-huh. but when it's just tight enough you can feel the goal pulling but obviously you're not there at it yet sure uh, that's very interesting. So the first thing that came to mind when you said the five years one, I'm very happy you said that five years one million and that whole sort of way of thinking of it. Um, yeah. And so it's what I was thinking is basically it has to be something that's more like the mission. It's you know the mission statement of your life. It's like you know I will create businesses that empower entrepreneurs in America to then have a ricochet effect on the world in the name of these good principles and then maybe you have then a more specific one where it's like more like than like what you said in five years i hope to then achieve you know helping this amount of people and simultaneously earning a million but something where it actually is not just accountability like one million but some kind of visual kickback you know it would be interesting to hear what quick you know would have as his as this reason um you know, so yeah, I guess no, it depends. That's... It depends where you scale out that vision, and what kind of things you put into it, because you you sort of create an almost an accountability for yourself, but that doesn't necessarily give you energy back. So it'd be interesting. No. What's the even broader no. one that kicks energy back to you? You know, where 
Then ironically, here's the funny part, then if you thought about it every day, it would be almost like a system. You'd be using your goal as a system like, oh, this part of my day when I wake up, I want to think about my goal. It's like, oh, I do that daily, right? How funny, right? How the two uh, relate. Well, Quick actually may have touched on it. Not not explicitly, uh, but I'm just thinking about he had that that quote about that your mess is your message and whatever the thing is that's like your hang up winds up being the thing you carry with you Mm. as one of your your sort of totems or one Mm. of your like key principles so if you think of your goal from that sort of perspective and it's like his goal ultimately winds up being to make people better learners to improve their memory through the aspect of reading at a quicker rate and instilling these good habits and the reason so that's his main goal in life right is to accomplish that thing and, and there may be some specific but i think he talked about like uh you know he said like no brain left behind and, yep. and one billion brains and all these things I love of it. how many people yep. he wants to help and that all stems from his own personal issue where he had a traumatic brain injury when he was younger and it impacted him and that's why so that would be his mess in in this case Mm. and then his message is tied to helping people and improving their brains and memories so and that would be then part of his larger goal so you could see how those things then would establish where your goal should come from and what your big goal is going to to stem from incredibly said Yep. Yep. I, I'm exactly. I'm. It's very funny that we just spoke about it in this sequence, because that allowed us to go through sort of the the motions. I completely <laughs> agree with you. That would be the kind of non one million dollar in five years kind of thing that I would be thinking of, and that is a great way. It's funny that mess and message even have the yep. symmetry there. But you're right. What's the mess in your life that you overcame, um, and that you can we all can derive energy from saying well at the very least if i can model myself and use myself as an example and then bring allow others to follow a similar pattern on behalf of you know the world getting a little bit better that's a pretty fun way to live and it winds up being pretty enjoyable and and i found it too unbelievably effective when he was talking about how you know when you first hear him and he's dropping all of this these insights i was like okay okay and then at around minute 22 he starts talking about his childhood and i was like wow now i'm really interested like oh you're not just like a smart guy who fulfilled their smartness you're someone who had a setback overcame it to this point and now you're gonna tell me how you did it i was like this is very effective so that i and then he says like build better brains he wants to help one billion brains as a as a consequence of that story so fascinating the interesting thing is what do you do if you're uh in suburban you know usa right how do you um you have to create your own mess to some extent uh, although yeah, we, i, I we would say yes and stuff, no right yeah 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 i i think we all sort of have the mm-hmm. thing that like We're now growing. the difficult yep, exactly. the difficult part that i would say is not finding that thing even if you do have a very cushy life as we could both definitely frame our upbringings as being very comfortable. Mm. But 
it's the honesty and the personal knowledge of yourself that may be the harder part to figuring out what that goal is going to be. So one thing that Quick specifically says is that the highest performers have the highest level of self-awareness. And if we just said, well, your goal is going to be your own personal issue, then it's like, okay, so you then need the self-awareness to find out and accept what your personal issue is, then you can relate that into your goal. Now, if you have a hard time self-reflecting or being honest with yourself, you may have a hard time finding your goal because you haven't identified your mess yet. So you wind up seeing how all these things are are very interconnected and the importance of self-reflection even, and even the ability to say, like, yeah, here's this thing that maybe I'm not so initially proud of, or here's this thing that I wasn't very good at at some point, or or maybe I'm even a little ashamed of that I was behind in this way. Mm. And then you can use that and know, know that gap from where you were at one point and now you're at a, a point further down the line and make that your goal then because you see that growth potential. And that's how you can find what your thing is going to be but all of that is going to stem from self-reflection and can you describe in your own life or just how you would i think altitude mentions this too when he goes like what is self-awareness how do you think about it so that's a big question that's why i kind of want yeah no uh your musings i would i would say there's a couple cheap ways that I have found towards self-awareness and the 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 cheap way uh, for the critical person which I 100% am is what do you recognize in other people and what bothers you in other people it's a very easy way to become self-aware despite not initially turning the lens on yourself yes so if you take a look and you go, what are the things I judge people the hardest on? What is that I always get in a fight with my my parents about? What is the thing that if I'm sitting at the bus stop, I always notice about people? Then once you've identified that thing, you can say, well, how do I feel about that specific thing in relation to myself? And you may look at yourself and go, oh, okay, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite where I want to be in this thing I keep noticing in in everyone and then suddenly you have it you're like okay that that the reason this is triggering me and when I see other people or when I get in arguments with other people is because I'm actually not okay with it in myself it's actually something that bothers me in myself and now you suddenly just gained the self-awareness mm-hmm. that may have actually initially started from how you mm-hmm. viewed other people it's brilliant and, and and I have heard some someone, you know, I've heard some element of this where it's like, know others and then you'll know yourself. And that your process of relating to other people allows, like you said, the reflections back in, you know. And it's like as long as you can be honest with what's happening, right? And that's the great element that we all are dealing with because some part of our 
brain wants to almost shield us from reality and create a bias in which that way we don't have to change or deal with it and we can sort of run from it. And then there's another part where I guess at some level it seeps in anyway and we have to deal with it. And when you take, when you start watching that process and then you overlay it on how you interact with other people, exactly, you can totally see how you come away and say, oh, wow, I'm vulnerable there. Or, or oh, wow, that really annoys me. You know, or, or oh, I'm resenting someone st- in, because of this. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Very interesting that that was your first response because so often reflection people think of the guy, you know, pondering you know, with his uh, uh, chin on his uh, fist, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm now in yeah, reflection yeah, yeah. mode, and there's the lake, and here's my journal, right? So it's so what you're saying is basically pay lucky. attention to the <laughs> to interacting with others. Yeah, and I think it's an easier, more realistic way than, like, yeah, it, it's great. We all like to be uh, Tole on the bench, and, and we're just these great philosophical minds, and, and we can step away and really examine our lives but it's not that easy. And like you said, we've built up these walls. So we we built these things in place that are actually trying to shield ourselves usually. So just immediately being able to step into this free zone, it's why it's why therapy is a thing because we need to knock these walls down so we can get to the essence of where our true self-reflection is. I mean, that's all therapy is. Mm-hmm. It's just getting to the point that you can accurately self-reflect mm-hmm. mm. um, so yeah yeah no i was gonna say one uh item i have on here that reminds me of sort of internal processes um is the hats where he's asking okay, himself yeah. questions about the hats. yeah the six hats uh were you pretty moved by the six hats as well I <laughs> interestingly I wasn't super moved. Like I, I found it interesting, sure. but when things are too complicated, uh, too uh, many things for you. Yeah, like it's dope. Uh, and <laughs> as someone who's like familiar with like Magic the Gathering, I did yeah. f- resonate with the funniness of even six like colors. blue is con- blue is oh. control <laughs> in, in the six hats. But it wound up being a little too complicated sure. because if like I heard it and I was like, oh, that's cool, like that that's a dope process. Uh, and then if I told somebody, I was like, hey, there's these six hats for decision making, and it allows you to think about things differently. And then even when Quick explains all the different ones, it winds up being a little too long, too yeah. much to yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, uh, allow me to agree with the with the details of it. And, you know, the six hats is basically you wear a new hat. Each time you wear that hat, you're looking from the perspective of that hat. So you may look through a scientific lens or a logical lens, what have you, through, with your white hat. You may look at the emotional lens with your red hat. The black hat may be the downside. The yellow may be the upside of the situation. And the green is sort of, does this, you know, allow me future developments right creative creation and blue is the deciding which is basically not even a hat right it's just sort of the reflection it's the end Um, result yeah the interesting thing that i enjoyed about it was it gave a visual example of what it is that 
you can do, which is you sort of look at the same problem through different lenses. And sometimes mm -hmm. that means speaking with others. And basically you may have a friend that's a white hat dominant person, let's say, and they may give you their example. And then you may have your skeptics. They're your black hat, you know. So it's like we, we're already – it's like folks already do this. I have found in my creative process trying to make uh, the YouTube video essays um, – different people have their different lenses, right, that they're going to apply things to. So just the element of sitting down or consciously applying different lenses on top of the same situation and then drawing ideas from it was a – I thought that was pretty cool. So I like that part of it. And this was a nice visualization of it. No, I think you actually said something interesting that is not quite in line with this specific decision-making sure. process but perfectly lines up is this 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 idea that uh edward de bonos who came up with this six hats idea where you're sort of sitting down and you're trying on these different ideas but you brought up the idea of you may have like a skeptical friend or a friend that's it's very emotional and, and is going to speak from the heart about an idea mm. And it made me think of the importance of feedback. Mm. And it's great that you could hypothetically put on all these different hats for yourself. Mm -hmm. But also having people in your life that you know are going to represent these things and they can help you with your decision making. I mean, I know this has been huge in my life recently is when I've got big decisions. I don't hold them in as much as I talk to people around me because they represent different aspects of these six hats i i my girlfriend would be the red hat for sure she mm -hmm. she thinks about things in that emotional way that i would always have a hard time doing yep exactly. uh, even if i was trying to yep. we just don't <laughs> so the, the importance of exterior yeah 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 and and the importance of feedback i know how big that's been for you for when you were trying to develop develop your video essay Oh, exactly. And the f ironic uh, comparison with the Filters and Harmony video essay is the point I was just going to make was that when you have decisions uh, that you make that let's say they line up, let's say like you win over each of your five friends, right? They all love the idea. Yes, it's good for your growth. Yes, you'll emotionally be happy that you faced it. Yes, it works out, let's say, logically and economically. Yes, if the worst-case situation happens, okay, you could still bounce back. Yes, there's massive upside, right? So you're excited, <laughs> so your visionary friends like it, right? What if, right, you have decisions in your life where different factions wind up agreeing directionally, right, have high energy for you? Mm, interesting. It's, you have then a moment that you can really dive into, right? So it's very interesting that you know they're independent criteria and then you can find where they disagree but then when they overlap it's like double down you know okay yep. excellent i'm free to go yeah, this in is when you go it totally in. lines yeah. up right and part of life is waiting 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 until you have uh at least waiting with your big chips like you know what I mean? Like where you go to you know, college, what career you pick, uh, if you start a business, start a family, who you pick to start that family with. It's like you do want a lot of those hats to agree on those issues, the big ones. The little ones you kind of want to maybe not worry so much about having them all line up. So 
Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, that that reminds me of the uh, like the Charlie Munger Warren Buffett thing yeah. about checking all the boxes. It's like, okay, does this does this big decision in your life check all the boxes? And mm-hmm. it's like, it's that same sort of thing. It's like, okay, if all these different types of analyses represented through these different people's feedbacks, yep. and they, it checks the boxes on all of them, and it's like, okay, this you want your big decisions to be that way. You don't want your big decisions where two of the hats think it's a great idea and four of the hats think eh, it's maybe not the best idea. Like, okay, maybe, right. you know, maybe right. you don't marry that one. Right. Like, it's true. It's true. It, it, it's, it's funny that way. Uh, and then the, uh, similarly, he sets up this uh, set of three items, three parts of you, I believe, where he says something like, you have your thoughts as the first thing, so represented kind of by your brain. You, you have actions, the third thing, represented by sort of your hands and what you choose to do. And he says the one that we're often missing is the second stop in our choice making, which is the heart, right? And that you sort of want an alignment between those three and, and the one that we're underweight the one that we're underexposed to in our culture is the heart. And that was fascinating because for a guy talking about brains, right, a lot of his uh, podcast winds up bringing love and, 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 and positivity in, you know, in addition to mental items. So I thought that was a little mini version of this three hats you know, uh, where at least there's a lining up again of multiple aspects at once, and the one missing in the three was the heart, and um, that hit me very interestingly again because you just said it. How often do you check in with your red, with your emotion, right, with how you feel about it? We, I don't check in with it either, right? So <laughs> yeah. that was fascinating. I'm like, you know, I'm learning about the heart more, you know, and it's like, wow, interesting, you know. Yeah, I think very often we like discount that because it's not very it doesn't have numbers. Like there's there's not a hard analytics mm-hmm. to the heart. But it it's really everything. Uh, there's a reason why we say that the you have that expression like their heart wasn't in it. It like so exactly. it's why someone can't achieve something. Ah, uh, my heart wasn't in it. It's like, well, if your emotions aren't behind something, even all the analyses in the world. Oh, God. And this really reminds me. uh, It's betrayal. That, that, what was that, Schroeder who did that video with, like, the elephant? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So when he's talking about, Will Schroeder's talking about influencing people and when you're, you're having a discussion and an argument and disagreement and we wind up trying to speak to, like, the logical brain of the person and not so much like the emotions and it's like if you lose the emotions good luck then getting the person to agree with you or Mm -hmm. or to side with you Mm -hmm. and like that's ourselves forget Mm -hmm. even talking to another person it's like it's like okay i need to lose weight Mm -hmm. it's like well you know this and you've convinced yourself Mm -hmm. but if emotionally you're not tied to it it's not gonna happen such an interesting point it's such an interesting point and 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 perhaps it's what i was trying to get at with the juicy goal 
idea like what would it mean to be juicy well yes logical is not necessarily juicy right it's it, it it's more like ooh, i'm excited really juicy <laughs> right it's like i'm excited right what would that even mean right it would mean that you're actually looking forward to being there in that moment uh, in your life. And I think it's very interesting, like you said, like you said, the heart. It's the most important thing, right? And I was like, is it the most important thing? And here's where it definitely is. When you look back on your life, the areas that you're very grateful for that you may think about again and make you happy are not like necessarily logical it's when you put your heart. It's when you put your 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 effort in something and risked and and cared, right? It's when the heart was involved. That those are the moments. Those are the memories that you actually think about. Even though day to day, we almost leave that element out and we just focus on the brain and what could logically get me to solve the problem that I want to solve. Fascinating. Putting the heart back in. I'm it, interested. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially too. You brought up he, he he likes collecting things and into groups and he talked about like the four g's which were growth grit give giving and gratitude okay let me, let me so so if you think about it you're like growth grit giving gratitude now growth you can see as being sure a little personal driven and little that's logical fair. well yeah little yeah, brain power yeah, yeah learning yep. but the other three Grit, heart, giving heart, gratitude, heart. Like, every time, right? I mean, especially giving and gratitude, right? Completely like, agree. You can't rational yourself into giving because then you're not really giving. Mm-hmm. You're just you're just committing the act. Mm-hmm. In gratitude, we we anyone with existential crises, uh, you're stuck in your head. And gratitude is uh, is usually the key that unlocks you from being stuck in your head. Now you're not stuck in your head through gratitude. It's unbelievable. So you, to rewind, you said giving there. And I was thinking yes. about it. And I was like, giving to me is almost like when you think, wow, if I do this, this person is going to be unusually happy that I did this, right? Like there, and you're sort of thinking about them being happy that you did this, right? And it's such a pure expression of of that. Whereas, like you said, logical giving or something that may not be where you're like thinking about the person and the care part. I totally see your distinction there. Gratitude as the reverser mm-hmm. to bad thinking is absurd. I completely agree. And this is how this is how not logical. I mean, it's like you can use your logic to become grateful because you can think, wow, logically, there's very low amount of probability that I ever get to experience any of this good goodness in this form. So thank you. But the act of saying thank you totally does not come from the brain necessarily. Right. It comes from the feeling of like, thank you. Right. It's very funny. And, And then grit, honestly, though. Grit is heart too, right? Grit in many ways is the ability to fight on, which has to do with like, do you have a juicy goal? Do you have principles that you want to embody more than it may hurt to go forward? So I love that you brought up the four G's and we just broke it down and three out of the four, which we agree are incredibly important, 
are from heart, even though we're all logical people. And this is a brain guy. This is a brain guy. Well, it shows a lot too. And you realize how the heart is very good at tricking the brain to commit the body to do what you want it to do. So let me explain that a little bit. Please. At one point, they're talking about this first step idea. Both Altiger and Quick are talking about just taking the first step. Quick specifically relates it to when he was afraid to give this big presentation to this class about this uh, course he was going to offer. And he's walking away from it, and he's not going to give the presentation. And then he takes one step back towards the classroom. And they both talk about how it's so weird that if you don't want to do something or you're afraid to do something, even though your mind has, has sort of reasoned why you should do it, but you're still afraid to do it, and you just take one step, it allows th- this transition flips in your mind where just because you've taken the one step, you're now convincing yourself to move in that direction all of a sudden. And it's really interesting to me because we can all get behind one step because it's such a little investment, but it it sort of tricks us into then having to follow through for whatever reason. It's, It's very hard to take the first step, but it's immeasurably easier to take that second step once you've taken the first one. Exactly. And the fact that you can break all of it down and just say, break all of that worry down to just the first action in that direction. And it's like when I hear that, it's somehow I agree with it so much, right? It's like, it's funny when you hear stuff like this. It's like, because why would that be? It doesn't make any sense. Why would, after I've accumulated the first step, it has no, you know, why would that really matter logically, uh, you know, for me going back into face that uh, audience? But somehow it's like, hey, wait a second. We're, we're actually already moving in this, you know, we're already going. Like we've got some momentum, momentum now. Yeah. So it's a fascinating way to uh, bring the lens all the way into the moment by just making it only the first step. Fascinating that he uh, thought with his brain, I can't deal with this group, right? I'm not prepared. But then he said, oh, I'm letting those people down. So he shifts brain to heart. Heart turns him around, right? Like you said, takes the yep. first step, and then the rest changes his life, right? And now he's here telling us about it. Yeah, it was that was awesome. I love first step. I mean, it's a great, it's a great way of saying that process of sh- turning it around. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. So I I would ask you then, hmm. walking away from yeah, please a two hour podcast, right? So we've we, we we take notes when we're gonna do a specific podcast, right? And we've got all these things written down. And in a month from now, we're not gonna remember the twenty things we wrote down, right? Sure. There's just no way. So in a month though, I bet you'd remember a couple things. 
what is the thing you can see yourself in a month, three months, six months, a year? What's the what's the thing you could re- see yourself remembering about this specific podcast? Absolutely. I think it's the last elements of what we were just describing with reintroducing the heart as a mechanism and then analyzing the four G's, which on their surface seem just like four aspects of personal growth that, you know, many people have, uh, you know, breakdowns for stuff like this. But to see three out of the four that I agree with and then realize how centered they are in the moral heart, conscience, whatever that, you know, that sphere, that is going to really leave a mark in me as, you know, as a tool for life that I can take sincerely. Um, so that is going to really stick in with me. Uh, and then probably toward the beginning, as related to this, developing your priorities and asking yourself, where is it I want to go? Uh, and maybe building the goal with my heart rather than with my mind. Yeah. And l- let me bounce the question back to you, of course. What are the things that you will remember in six months? The big, the big thing for me is something that I the things I remember are always things I resonate the most with. And the things that the thing I resonated the most with was the idea of the self-awareness and the importance of knowing yourself and the importance of checking in with yourself and that I'm someone who prides myself or tries to pride myself on being open to new ideas. And I think self-awareness is something that's very connected to that because if you're self-aware and you're very beholden to one set of ideas and you can't be shaken on them, it's almost impossible for that to coexist with each other because you're self-aware you can you can turn that eye on yourself and see that you're beholden to this idea and it can allow you to change over time and for your opinions to shift over time in a very natural way and when when quick related that fact that self-awareness seems to go very high in correlation with the highest performers it just reaffirms my own belief in self-awareness. Mm. So that's that's what I could see myself taking away from this for the future. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, with that, I think we'll say thank you yep. uh, for listening to another episode of the Have You Heard the Latest podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to listen to this podcast that we were talking about today the link is always going to be in the description go give that a listen it's amazing and thank you everybody we love you